Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. So the last book we read was Old Thought Next Door. And if you are uh, new to this and you are looking for something short, swift, and sweet, I would say go back and check that one out because it was an awesome ride. We went through nine uh, parts of it. And the ninth part was me doing a summary and also discussing um, how disgusting that ending was to that book. Like y'all should really check it out. It's Old Thought Next Door by Quan Mills. Um, so recently the newest uh, chapter of the Winter Santiago storyline uh, from the coldest winter ever came out. And I am definitely looking forward to uh, getting hands on that because I think it was a, it's gonna be a phenomenal book. Uh, Sister Soldier is a, an absolutely amazing writer. Uh, her uh, worlds that she builds and the storyline she builds up just hits you square in the chest. And, um, I'm sure that this sequel will be no different, uh, but the coldest winter ever, uh, Life After Death, uh, is the second book. And before we can get there, in honor of the second book, I'm going to read the first book here. Um, so I, I know I had said that the next book was going to be the Phantom Tollbooth, but sorry, parents, like you're still going to have to wait a little bit longer. Um, the Coldest Winter Ever came out in 1999. Um, and it is about a young lady uh, by the name of Winter Santiago. If you have not yet read this book, you're in for a treat. If you have read this book before, hit me up. Uh, let me know what you think at Ratchet Book Club on Twitter or uh, the email address is wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. I'm serious, y'all. Like this is one of my favorite books, and I'm 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 hoping to do it some semblance of justice. Also, the chapters are a bit shorter in this book, so we may fit more chapters into each episode. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but with no further ado, here is the first chapter. Chapter one. <clears throat> I never liked Sister Soldier. Straight up. She the type of female I like to cut in the face with my razor. Before I get heated just talking about her, let me make it clear who I am and where I stand. Don't go jumping any conclusions either. All of y'all are too quick to jump to her defense without knowing what somebody up close and personal thinks. When it comes right down to it, those are the ones who really count. 
the people who were there, who've seen it all. Hell, you can't smell nobody's breath through a camera. You almost can't even see their pimples. So you know that TV shit ain't real. Don't run ahead of me, though. Let me take my time and tell my story. Brooklyn-born, I don't have no sob story for you about rats and roaches and pissy pew hallways. I came punching out of my mama's big coochie on January 28, 1977, during one of New York's worst snowstorms. So my mother named me Winter. My father, Ricky Santiago, was so proud of his new baby girl that he had a limo waiting to pick my mom's up from the hospital. The same night I got home, my pops gave me a diamond ring set in 24 karat gold. My mom said that my fingers were too small and soft to even hold the ring in place, but he insisted that he had a guy who would get it adjusted just right. It was important for me to know that I deserved the best. No slum jewelry, cheap jewels, or knockoff designer stuff, only the real things. We lived in the projects, but we were cool with that. We weren't working for a damn thing. We weren't wanting for a damn thing. I had three aunts, four uncles, and a whole slew of cousins. And as far as we was concerned, it was live for all of us to be chilling in the same building, or at least the next building over. We never had to worry about getting in fights because around our way, we had reputation. Plus, it was plain and simple common sense. If you put your hands on anyone in the family, you was going to get jumped by the next oldest person in our family, and so on and so on. Sooner than later, we didn't have to say a word. Everybody understood that our family had the neighborhood locked down, and it wasn't worth the trouble. Our apartment in the projects was dipped. We had royal red carpets on the floor, top of the line furniture, a fully loaded entertainment center, equipment, and all that good stuff. I love my pops with a passion. He was the smoothest nigga in the world. When he came into a room, he made a difference. His cologne came around the corner introducing him before you could even see him. He spoke softly with deep seriousness. He was light-skinned and tall with curly black hair and a fine thin mustache to match. He was medium build definitely in shape. The thing that stood out about him was his style. His clothes were crisp expensive. He never wore the same shirt twice. He could do it like that because he was smart. He never used the drugs he sold. He collected his money on time and made examples of any fool who tried to cheat him. He had a saying, one copper penny, one finger. All the ladies loved him, but he wasn't what I would call a ladies man. He never had no girlfriend. At least no female ever tried to call the house trying to front on my mom's. I can't recall any incidents involving other women, accusations, or any uncomfortableness. He was a family man. Everybody in the whole world knew my mom was his wife, his one and only, his soft spot even. Moms and pops have been young lovers, and unlike a whole lot of niggas, they stayed together. She was 14 when she had me. Folks said she looked great during pregnancy and would switch her ass around the neighborhood flowing easy like water. She would wear her fine Italian leather stiletto heels even in her seventh month. Moms had everything by the way of clothes and anything else you could think of. Her mahogany skin was smooth as a Hershey chocolate bar. When she went anywhere, she was well coordinated. If she had on a zebra skin hat, she'd sport the zebra skin pants and have on a zebra skin pattern for all 10 nails. She'd even have on the Victoria's Secret zebra pattern panties and camisole. What separated her from every other woman any of us knew was that she just had so much class. While the others were putting their imitation leather and zebra skins on layaway piece by piece, Mama wouldn't be caught dead without her shit perfectly arranged. 
By the time hoes sported their outfits, all that shit was played out, straight out of style. When it came to shopping, mama had no mercy, and that's the way Santiago liked it. His one was supposed to be the showstopper. Mama didn't work because beauty, she said, was a full-time occupation that left no room for anything else. She'd sit at her vanity tail for three hours, making sure she positioned every extra long lash on just right. She'd argue with anyone who said she wasn't born with those lashes that framed her big, wide brown eyes that were gorgeous with or without falsies. She made it clear to me that beautiful women are supposed to be taken care of. She'll whisper in my ear, I'm just a bad bitch. Now, a bad bitch is a woman who handles her business without making it seem like business. Only dumb girls let love get them delirious to the point where they let things that really count go undone. For example, you see a good looking nigga walking down the sidewalk. You get excited. You get wet just looking at him, thinking about him. You step to him, size him up, and you think, looks good. You slide your eyes down to a zipper, check for the print. Inside, you scream, yes, it's all there. But then you realize he's not wearing a watch, ain't carrying no car keys, no jewels, and he's sporting last month's sneakers. He's broke as hell. A bad bitch realizes she has two options. One, she could take him home and get her groove on just to enjoy the sex and don't get emotionally involved because he can't afford her. Or two, she could walk away and leave his broke ass standing right there. Having a relationship is out. Getting emotionally involved is out. Taking him seriously is out. If a bad bitch is extra slick, she could keep this guy on the side for the good sex. He then becomes a commercial to the money man who's the main program. The money man is the guy who knows how to provide, knows how to bring home the goodness and bless his one with everything she wants. Now the money man might not be ringing any bells sexually, but if he has ends, you know, if his pockets are heavy, a bad bitch will moan like this nigga's the original Casanova. When he's sexing her, she'll shake, pant, and cry out like he's creating orgasms as strong as ocean waves. Now, Miles must have been a bad bitch because she had it both ways. She had the money man with the good looks, loyalty, and I know Pops landed down in the bedroom. Mom's got her hair done once every three days. The shops we went to, because she always took me, was for the high rollers girls. These were the few women in the neighborhood who was able to hook the big money fish. They all went to this shop to get their hair done, nails did, and more importantly, to show off an update on shit going on. Earlene's was where we could get our hair done while we collected information on the side. By the time I was seven, I understood the rules perfectly. Keep the family's business quiet. Most things were better left unsaid. Even though this is the high rollers hair shop, we were clear the motherfuckers were jealous of us. My pop's operation was steadily building. As a young guy, he started off as a lookout, but was so sharp that now he had organized his own thing. He had his own workers and whatnot. People knew he was headed to be in the next big Willie by his style. He was respected for his product, which was never watered down and always a fair cut for your money. So me and my moms would catch these jealous glances, but we threw them shits right back. Our attitudes towards other females was, Hey, your man worked for my pops. Now bow down to the family who puts food on your table for you and yours. Santiago was the number one businessman in our area by the time I was 13, running things. Although he taught me to never sweat the small stuff, it seemed like every move he made, he thought about carefully. I would hear his key unlocking the first door into our apartment. 
then the men he was with, his workers, they would stand in the limited space between the first door and the heavy metal second door that actually led into our place and talk. After they handled their matters, you would hear the first door open and then slam again. Pops would lock it and then unlock the second door to come inside. Whatever pressure he felt, whatever weight or business he had was left in between those two doors because when he came inside, he brought his sexy smile, excited eyes and power along with him. He would show us all love. He would have whatever any of us had asked him for in his pockets, no matter how small the request, down to a Snickers bar. If any of us had any problem of any kind, we could ask him and he'd make the answer so simple that I wonder how I couldn't have figured it out myself. If something was on his mind, he'd go to the back to a private room he had Woody the carpenter build and pull out his chessboard. Funny thing was, he wouldn't play with anyone, just against himself. When I asked him why, he said, I look at life from every position. I play from every side. You gotta know what each man on the board is thinking down to the littlest motherfucker like a pawn. Now, daddy would explain that other players are quick to sacrifice or ignore the pawn, but he was too smart for that. The pawns are my soldiers, he would say. If I surround myself with strong soldiers and give them all a stake in the game, then they keep this hood strong and tight. He would look into my eyes as if to ask, do I understand? I didn't want him to know that I dig him so much that I listened to him for as long as he wanted to talk, but I didn't give a fuck about a game of chess. He would break it down about how around our way there was always some young kids trying to spread their wings and test his operation. He said they mostly stupid though, because no smart guy is going to try and kick in the door of the big man unless he got an extra tight, professional, strong and ruthless crew. But every now and then some dumbass young kid who's seen too many Scarface type movies would try and overtake what can only kill him. He loses. Santiago said, knocking the black king over on the chessboard. He loses because he never understood the game. The up and coming dealers on the block were Santiago's number two problem. I was his number one. He loved me like crazy, but was getting nervous about the way men, young and old, were checking for me. It was amazing how in one year from age 12 to 13, my titties sprouted. I haven't had the ass to match. I don't know who was more excited, the men or me. I was walking around poking my stuff out in any direction that looked good to me. But anyone who stared my way for more than a few seconds was in danger of catching a critical beatdown. Pops had already made an example of at least two niggas around my way. Santiago sliced this one dude from his left ear to his right ear. We call that kind of cut a hospital run. But this guy never got to go to the hospital. Santiago let his blood gush out till Doc got to our apartment. Now, Doc ain't really no doctor. He just had some medical training in the army. Santiago calls him when we don't need the police and hospital button around in our business. Well, when Doc got finished with dude, his cut just bubbled up all the way across his face. Everybody in the neighborhood started calling him Bubbles for that ugly scar. Bubbles crime was looking at me with lust in his eyes while he was supposed to be installing the safe in our apartment. Now Bubbles with a walking billboard that no one is allowed to fuck with Santiago's daughter. After that, we got the second metal door installed in our apartment and none of daddy's workers were ever allowed past that door again. Now mom thought Santiago's way was overboard. She told him she was just gonna go get me some birth control and let me go. Cause when a woman wants to get fucked, she gets fucked. 
She gets fucked whether it's in the car or in the closet. Suggestions like this just got Santiago more crazy. He made it clear to moms, winter is not a woman yet. None of these low lights are gonna make a trick out of my flesh and blood. Possible pulled me to the side, grabbed my shoulders with his strong hands and firm grip, staring into my eyes and told me slowly, only a hardworking man, a sharp thinker who doesn't hesitate to do what he's got to do to get you what you need to have, deserves you. He repeated that lesson often. I would think to myself, hmm, only Papa fits that description. Now I love Papa, but I hated the way he cock-blocked. Every teenage girl wants to cut loose and get close to the fire, but I was like a pot of boiling milk with the lid on. You know that's ready to explode and slide down the side of the pan. So my peeps kept me busy by giving me things to do all the time. I had to watch my baby sisters Mercedes and Lexus, the twins. That was a real pain in the ass at eight months old. Then I had to look out for my other little sister, Portia, who was four. She wasn't half bad because she didn't shit all over all the time. Sometimes the three of them kids together got on my nerves so bad they almost made me want to go to school. But my policy was to go to school just enough so the authorities wouldn't kick me out. If I had a new outfit to show off or some nice jewels I knew I'd get sweated for, fine. But I wasn't going to report to school every day like it was some kind of job when they weren't even paying me for it. School was like a hustle. Teachers wanted me to come to school so they could get paid to control me. What do I get out of the deal? Enough said. I just wasn't having it. As busy as they kept me, that was Midnight. I guess he got that name because Midnight was about the only thing blacker than him. He was one of my father's workers. He was real serious like my father. He always looked like he was thinking deep thoughts and had a lot on his mind. I figured maybe he had a plan to take over the world. And I liked that because he would need to own the world in order to win me. He never smiled. He didn't joke around like the other niggas in our age group. He did his pickups and delivery like clockwork. My father once referred to him as a strong young lieutenant. Santiago liked him because he said he never tried to test or flex. He knew Santiago was the boss and he was comfortable and cool with that. Midnight never attempted to skim pay late or run games like some other guys did when they first started out. I like midnight for other reasons too. In the summertime, he wore white when he played basketball. His mother or whoever washed his clothes must have been more handy than them happy homemakers on the TV commercials because this shit was crisp. But what really got me was that black skin. It was smooth and perfect. It laid on top of his bone structure tight like saran wrap. His arms were cut. I could tell he lifted weights, but he wasn't all big and swollen like them little dick assholes in the magazines. He was tall, yet medium-sized and perfect. His muscles were defined, his veins stuck out, emphasizing his strengths. His neck was slim and strong. He would come to the park only on Sundays. I know because I was clocking him like that. He'd be wearing a new sweatsuit every time. He held his money in a gold money clip. He would take the money clip with the money neatly stacked out of his sweatpants pocket. He would take off his pants, stripping down to the basketball shorts he had on underneath. His powerful legs were as cut as his upper body, and for this I gave him mad respect. I can't tell you how many guys I've seen with strong upper bodies and legs like a chicken.
He would put that money clip on the inside of his basketball shorts and play ball. My eyes would move in and out of his structure. I couldn't wait to put my lips against his skin and maybe even suck on his collarbone or something. To make the package complete, Midnight's kicks were always new and clean. Now, Midnight never paid me no mind. I wasn't worried about it, though, because one thing I learned from my mom is that a bad bitch gets what she wants if she works her shit right. Pops also taught me something useful about patience. He said, sometimes a victory is sweeter when it takes a long time to carry out the plan and you catch the person completely off guard. What I was up against was the fact that Midnight worked for my pops. So even if he had ever considered me, he probably ruled me out. He was five years older than me, so he might have also considered me jailbait. The worst thing about it was that I couldn't tell either way. You know how they say a person's face is a dead giveaway? Well, Midnight was just the opposite. His face seemed serious all the time. His reactions just didn't show up. Even when he played ball, he didn't trash talk like the other niggas. He didn't react when they tried to mess with him. He just seemed focused on the basket, made his moves, scored his jumpers, and didn't even smile when he won. At first, to get his attention, I did things like rocking my skirts extra mini, shortening my already short shorts, sporting halter tops and cute little metallic bras. As I got sexier, he went from looking at me almost never to never looking at me at all. While in his presence, or at least when I was in the same park he was in watching him play ball, I would try and get his attention by acting mad. I'd suck my teeth, roll my eyes at him, and still nothing. So I decided to make him a long shot project. Meanwhile, I had my own fun stuff going on. I would let niggas take me to the movies, or should I say I went to the movies with my girlfriends and met niggas there, not wanting to ruffle Santiago's feathers by bringing the worthless nigga home. Sometimes we would just chill in my girl Natalie's apartment. Her mom's was never home, so we had free run of the place. Getting my first sugar daddy was no problem. His name was Sterling. I met him in Lower Manhattan at a grocery market when I ran in just to get some chapstick on a fickle autumn morning. I guess my style just overwhelmed him because instead of reaching into the cash register and giving me my damn change, his eyes were sliding in between my breasts like he wished he could be one of my gold chains. I recognized him immediately as a sucker, somebody I could take for all he had. All his thoughts showed on his face. It was clear that I had his full attention as I gave him a blast of ghetto attitude. I put my hands on my hips, saying, My money or your life. He looked startled, stopped staring, and counted out my change. I laughed. Do you uh, need your receipt? He asked with his enthusiastic, corny ass, trying to prolong the conversation. If that's all you had to offer, I said with a serious look sprinkled with sexiness. He gave me my money and cleared his throat and turned from the register with his cheap white dress shirt and $2 tie and followed me as I walked towards the door. I guess he had it like that. He could walk away from the register because he was a store manager. So what's your name? He asked, looking at me as though he thought he could actually make some progress with me. Winter, I said, rolling my eyes with disinterest. You live around here? Brooklyn, baby, no doubt. The rest is history. He got paid every two weeks and so did I. He worked at the store and I worked on him. 
I had him buying me shit he couldn't afford. We ate at places he never knew existed. Whatever little money he took home and pay, I took my 25% like I was this freaking agent or something. It worked out smooth, him living in Manhattan out of Santiago's eyesight. Besides, the little piece of cash he provided meant a new outfit, an extra gold bangle to my collection, whatever. Like mom says, you can never have too much. Santiago shook up what was supposed to be my sweet 16th with shocking news. We were all around the table. My chocolate Baskin Robbins ice cream cake was bombarded with small nuts and 16 carefully placed maraschino cherries. Daddy handed me a long slim box, the kind I liked because it almost always meant jewelry. I tore off the gold wrapping paper and smiled widely as I lifted my new diamond tennis bracelet off the clean white cotton. My mother's mouth hung open as she inspected the diamonds from across the table. Even though she knew better, she was confirming that they were white, clear, and sparkle like diamonds, not cubic zirconias. As I put the bracelet on, Santiago handed me a birthday card. This is unusual because we weren't big on cards and poetry and shit like that in my family. As I fumbled with the catch on my bracelet, my mom opened the card, suspecting, I guess, there must be some birthday money in it or something. She probably figured that if I got cash in addition to this bracelet, Santiago had gone overboard again and would need a talking to later on. As she opened the card, two Polaroid snapshots fell out and onto the table. She picked it up, twisted up her face with curiosity and said, baby, what is this? It's our new house in Long Island, daddy said coolly with pride and confidence. I want to surprise everybody, and I figured today was as good as any day. We're moving. First class, baby. Only the best. Top shelf for the ladies in my life. I was feeling crazy. The gold candles on my cake melted away, and so did my dreams under the pressure of the flickering fire. All I knew was the projects. It was where my friends, family, and all my great adventures were. I knew these streets like I knew the curves of my own body. I was like the princess of these alleyways, back staircases and whatnot. What was the point of moving? Santiago always said you gotta live where business is to avoid a hostile takeover. He said that a man's gotta carry a powerful presence in his neighborhood so the small timers didn't start itching with takeover fever. Now it was like we were cutting out. So I did something I normally wouldn't do. I questioned Santiago. Why? What's the point? Why are we about to do something that you said we would never do? Santiago simply said, baby girl, things is on a new level. It was cool to rest my head here in the past, but my business is bigger and better than ever. I can't let them get too familiar with the routine. I got to switch up, keep them guessing. Me, Mama, and Portia were all seated stiff and silent. The babies didn't know what the fuck was going on. Surprise swirled around, strangling us. He continued, everyone can't handle my success. Eventually, some fool will snap out of order and try and bring it to me by hurting one of my girls. His long finger pointed at us. His eyes locked into each of our eyes individually. He was making good sense, but I was still vexed. I figured, yeah, that sounds good and all, but I'm not down with the idea of running from a fight. It's just straight up not Santiago's style. Santiago picked up on my expression quickly and said, now you know I don't run from no war. 
I'll take on anybody who wants to bring it to me. But what I'm not having is anyone fucking with my ladies. If they want war, let it be man to man and only the men. It seemed like Santiago knew something he wasn't telling us. He was dead serious, and I knew that his statements were coming from somewhere. This place, he added, holding up the picture, his finger pointing out the mansion. This is a safe place. Man, wait till you see it. Shit's so laid out that it's like heaven. The rules for our move out of Brooklyn were clear and non-negotiable. Don't talk about it. We knew no matter how silent we were, there would still be chatter. My mother's brothers and sisters and their husbands and boyfriends who all work for Papa would definitely have something to say. That didn't matter, Santiago said. I'll take care of everything. Just don't add to it. In my last few days, everything was moving like a slow motion film. Shit that stank, stank more. Anything sweet seemed even sweeter. I spent all my extra time with the girls. We were mad tight, many of us born and raised in the same spot. Take me and Natalie, for example. We did everything together. We even got our cherries busted together and lied to each other about how good the first time felt when the truth was those big dicks ripped our tight little 12-year-old tunnels apart. We fought over whose date was finer, even though Jamal and Jacob were twins. But I knew Jamal was cuter because he had this fine black mole on his right cheek and that shit was sexy. Natalie said Jamal was the one who made my titties grow. Because after me and him started getting down, I went from flat chest to all eyes on me. When my girl Toshi had beef with those chicks from around the corner, me, Nat, Zakia, Simone, Monique, Reese, all of us took off our jewels, greased up our faces, braided down our hair, and had our razors under our tongues ready to go to war. Before blows could be thrown or razor spit out, the big doofy girl from the other crew, who was supposed to scare us, shouted out, Yo, that's Santiago's daughter. You crazy. I ain't fucking with her. Then the chicks we were supposed to be fighting started fighting each other because some of them wanted to fight, and some of them didn't. So we started to run towards them. We charged those bitches and they flew. We ran till we got tired and cracked up laughing at how stupid they were. I know one thing. They never fucked with Toshi again. We blew trees together, then got so hungry, we ate four family-sized bags of nacho cheese Doritos and watched our girl Asia, the only chubby one in our crew, throw up from the bellyache. Hell, we went from patent leather shoes of five-year-old birthday parties to matching tomboy outfits and brawls to fighting over whose titties were bigger. Shantae, who was older than all of us, taught us all the sexual positions. She let us watch while she got down with boys when her mother was at work. She liked the idea of being our teacher. She even taught us how to suck a dick. We had our first beef patties and cocoa bread, bun and cheese and ginger beer together because our girl Carmel was from Jamaica and used to take us to the spot where the dreads chilled out. She taught us how to dance like the Jamaican winders by moving our bodies slow and sexy like caterpillars. But none of us took fashion tips from her because her gear was out of this world. There wasn't nothing we hadn't been through including going to the funeral for Neek, whose mother pushed her off the roof after she found out her man had been fucking her daughter. I was gonna miss Brooklyn. The music, the vibes, the hot dogs, and mostly the streets. It didn't matter what nobody said. Brooklyn is a shit, number one in my heart. No one was supposed to know we were leaving, but on our last day there, Natalie, who had a way of finding out all and any dirt on anybody, said to me out the blue, 
I'm trying to get my mother to get our long distance turned back on so I can make long distance calls. When we parted, she said, stay real. Don't switch up on us, bitch. We left in the evening. The whole thing was casual, like we was going out to dinner or some shit like that. We didn't take nothing with us because Santiago said we didn't need it. So I understand you're supposed to shelter your kids from stuff. And I don't think Santiago is actually trying to shelter winter from stuff. But reading this now, as opposed to reading it when I was 19, and I was just caught up in everything, a few things strike me immediately. First of all, winter is a child. Like, I mean, that hit me when I was younger, too. But I mean, like, literally, like, childlike, the whole nine yards. Like, she doesn't worry about a thing. I don't mean, like, body-wise. Body-wise, yeah, she's certainly a child. And the fact that she has a grown-ass man, like, Sterling, messing around with her is just gross. But Winter is a child. She has a childlike mindset on everything. Like, her dad is trying to give her jewels, and she's like, I don't do that. I don't where's this coming from doesn't want to learn about chess doesn't want to learn about the game um while her dad shelters her from the game but they're talking like he's a businessman like you i guess this is one of the things that i like most about how uh sister soldier wrote this book is that she writes it from the eyes of somebody who was literally born into this game this is the same way that I figure that an executive's uh, child would look at somebody who has a multi-billion dollar business like it's nothing new. You know, it ain't nothing surprising to them. People, we just got a, a billion dollars. Like, that's just the way it works out. Um, Santiago, like, I mean, I want to talk. I already know what happens to him, but um, he's a smooth ass dude. I just, I've always pictured him. I don't know why. I always pictured him as looking like Elder Barge. And so when she was, I'm just jumping right back to Winter because this story is about her. When she was 13, because the story started when she was 13, and then they jumped to her 16th birthday. Let me go back and take a look so I can make sure. I could have swore that initially she was a 13 year old girl. Um, and so I know that, let's see, they live in the projects, blase, blase, blah, wore the same suit. Um, I want to say that she, or maybe she said when she turned 13, Santiago was the number one businessman in our area by the time I was 13. So I don't know if she was 13 when she first started talking about it. And then they jumped forward three years to her 16th birthday. And that's when Santiago was like, they need to move. But I'm, I'm doubting that because the babies were still babies. So if they had jumped forward three years, the babies wouldn't have been babies anymore. They would have been like three-year-old toddlers. I'm going to have to keep an eye on that. And Portia would have been like seven at that point in time. I'm going to have to watch and see how that um, plays out in future chapters. Um, but regardless, like, it's all she knows. Her mom had her when she was 14. So she's, her mom is like, yo, she's 13. We should be getting her condoms because that's all her mom knows. This is literally like 
a great story, but at the same time, a heartbreaking story. It is so engaging on so many different levels. And it's like, yo, this girl is literally trying to push up on midnight, knowing that midnight is 18 and works for her dad and knows that she's 13 and is gel bait. And she's like, I'm just going to wear metallic bras and all that kind of stuff and dress even wilder and sexier for this nigga. And it's like, do you not see the signs? But she doesn't because she's a kid. And what she's learned is that her mom got whatever she wanted. Her dad told her that just keep working at it till somebody gives in, which is literally what a drug dealer would do when they're pushing drugs to somebody. This is crazy. Seeing this now as opposed to when I was a kid, this was this whole thing is like berserk. It's deeper. When you read it as a 40, 50, 60, I'm I'm somewhere in all those numbers. I'm I'm 40. But reading as a 41-year-old as opposed to reading as a 19-year-old, this is wild. And her friends like fighting on the block and and how Brooklyn is everything and you don't want to move out to Strong Island or Long Island or whatever it may be out there. That's crazy. Expecting that you're going to just get everything you want because your daddy is rich is not the way to live life. As somebody told one of my friends once, growing up rich and stupid is not the way to live your life. But I guess when your dad's the king of the hood, like you can do that. But the thing about being the king of the hood is that it always comes to an end. You know what I'm saying? What goes up has to come back down eventually. Yeah, so um, uh, these chapters, two of these chapters are, um, should be good. So let's see what happens with chapter two. Chapter two, oohs and ahs were the only sounds anybody could hear as my three little sisters were completely won over by the drive through the fancy big money Long Island neighborhoods. As my dad's Lexus zoomed up the winding tree-lined driveway, the clean snow dropped onto the car windows, adding to her amazement. Also, this is me again, just going back. I know that we don't shame people about their names like i'm not going to shame black folks for their name choices ever but i do want to point out that i think that it was intentional by sister soldier to have this nigga who runs the hood name his three daughters lexus portia and mercedes i think that, that was important because she's pointing out that even though this nigga is supposed to be the biggest nigga in the hood he's still a hood nigga doing hood nigga things with a wife who's also a hood woman doing hood woman things. Okay. The way I figured it was that they were too young, so they were quick to betray Brooklyn. The huge doors to our new home looked more expensive than our entire old apartment. The warmth of the house invited us in, yet and still Santiago lit the fireplace. More like a museum, there was enough space in this joint to fit seven or so families. It was so wide, we could even park our cars indoor if we wanted. The floors were made of white marble, huge three foot by three foot squares, to hell with tile and linoleum. Mama sprawled out on top of the white mink rug that Papa laid out in front of the fireplace. The way she sunk into that fur and the way her eyes were twice her normal size made me know we were here to stay. The icing for Mama was when Santiago said, 
song for you to decorate any way that you like. For an entire month, we went through catalogs and magazines, mail order shit, and, and received deliveries to Santiago Arrange. Santiago was so live that he had a guy who could make anything he wanted to happen, happen. Designers, carpenters, locksmiths, tailors, you name it, they came when he called. They gave him respect, tried to keep their eyes from roaming all over Santiago's home, too. You could see them shaking by Papa's power. Although I wanted to be in Brooklyn, I could see that this is the way like Santiago is supposed to live. What we considered to be high quality before wasn't nothing compared to now. But them slim corridors in the Brooklyn projects where the smell of fried fish collided with the smell of codfish and ackee, then got drowned out by the smell of liquor, still had my name on it. The silence in the Long Island mansion was killing me. You couldn't just open the door, yell downstairs, and find out what was jumping off later that night. The reality was that for the most part, in this area where we lived, nothing jumped off, period. The whole idea of next door neighbors were dead. Forget borrowing a cup of sugar, a few cigarettes or whatever. You'd have to walk what seemed like a mile just to get to the next house. Even then, you wouldn't be trying to borrow shit from them because hell, you don't know them from Jack and they don't know you. Your ass is black, they old and white, and the bottom line around these parts is you just expect to have your own shit and not borrow anything anyway. Now, I don't want to lie to you. There were some blacks in the neighborhood, but they asked were so uptight. I figure if I ask them a question, they want me to pay for the answer. When I registered at the new school, I knew I would be spending even less time there than I had in my other school. There was just nothing live about it. Plus, it's bullshit moving anywhere when you're already a teenager. By this time, everybody's all paired up, grouped up, and friendships are cemented. You'll look like an ass trying to link up with somebody's clique when you don't even know nobody in the whole circle. So I decided, why fake it when it's not even worth it? Now, every girl needs company. And trying to figure out how to meet a young nigga out here was like a fucking brain teacher. It wasn't like people was walking outside on the streets like in Brooklyn. Here, I could put on a Chanel suit, stay on the corner, and meet nothing but the wind, and maybe even get a ticket for loitering. I had my driver's license now, but it didn't matter. We had one car, the Lexus, and it was Santiago's. He promised Mom she was next in line to get her car. I was sure that after her car came mine, but who knew how long that was going to take? Santiago had to hook everything up just right as to not bring too much attention on himself with too many big purchases. After a while, me and my mom was going stir crazy, but we was the only ones disappointed. My little sister's room was so big, it was like a separate apartment. Even the twins was having a ball because they had plenty of space to tear up in. At the rate they was moving, we joked that our part-time housekeeper, a little Spanish woman named Magdalena, would be quitting any minute now. What good is all this, baby, if I can't show it off? I need my family to show on what you've given us. Mama's words were never ignored by Papa. Once she lured him into the bedroom, she would get what she wanted. Soon, Santiago agreed to allow Mommy to throw regular Saturday night parties. Invitations were limited to carefully selected friends and family. Santiago spared them no luxury. They ate like pigs, drank the liquor from our bars, and powdered their noses with the cane available in candy dishes usually reserved for jelly beans. They partied every weekend and stayed at our house so late that some of them were at our breakfast table on Sunday morning. These parties excited my mother and added the necessary spice to our new, boring Long Island life. 
she got to show off her house, furniture, and all that good shit. If certain people were skeptical about giving us props before, they had to now because our shit was official. Nobody from our neighborhood could lie and say they had what we had. From the way their eyes popped open when they first came to the house, we could tell they had never been in nobody's house compared to ours. These parties did nothing for me, though. Point blank, I wasn't invited. Even though I was 16, Santiago couldn't get it through his head that I was growing up. Inside, I think he figured that if he treated me like a little girl, I'd remain one. Somehow, he thought he treated me better than any man claiming to love me would. So that should be enough for me. But it wasn't enough. So I learned to work around Santiago's ways. First, I found the bus stop. That might sound simple, but believe me, it took real detective work. It was about a mile and a half from our house. I took the bus to the mall, and that's when I realized where everybody in Long Island is, at the mall. I cased the place just to see what stores they had up in there. They passed my quality tests. Coach Store, yes. Versace, yes. And of course, Ralph Lauren and Joan and David's shoes. My heart rushed as I shopped. I spotted a few cuties, but not exactly my type of men. They had the blank sort of look on their face, not aggressive the way I liked them. Trust me, though, they didn't have to have no particular way to eat my pussy. And right about now, that's exactly how I wanted to relieve my tension. So I sipped a chocolate malt, bought myself a designer t-shirt, hooked it up the way I wanted it, and smiled quietly to myself. Saturday morning, I prepared to fulfill my babysitting obligations. I dressed the twins in their matching heel figure jumpers and crisp new kicks. I did their hair up nice in some grown-up styles. I had on my tight brown suede pants, my brown suede jacket, brown leather shoes, and my Versace sunglasses. I put on my new custom-made designer t-shirt. I snatched up their little hands and headed to the mall where I was sure there'd be something exciting for each of us to get into. By the end of the day, the twins had managed to rearrange their hairdos and decorate their jumpers with hot spilled cocoa. I could not believe I didn't meet the man I pictured so carefully in my mind, my tension reliever. Instead, I was approached by one guy who walked up to me with his doofy ass asking me about my t-shirt. I rolled my eyes and made a face at him like he smelled like shit or something. He got the point and strolled away. Later on, going home on the bus, I thought maybe the guys around here are not used to bold women like me. Maybe they were into manners and prissy bitches and shit like that. Maybe my t-shirt, which read, these are not my fucking kids, was too spicy for their precious ears and eyes. There was no doubt in my mind that I would have to get back to Brooklyn on a regular basis to keep my sanity. So the kids are going to have a great time living out there because it's all they know. Like, all she knows is that, you know what, when my daughter, when I, so when my wife and I first got married, um, our youngest kid, Austin, wasn't born yet, obviously. The two middle kids were like four because, you know, one was born in August, the other was born, or one was born in November, the other was born in the next August, like they, you know, blended family. Uh, and then there was my daughter who was eight years old at the time and we moved into a spot and it was, uh, it was nice. It was cool. But the thing is my eight year old daughter, while the four year olds quickly, uh, became 
you know, very comfortable with the situation as it was uh, actually three years old and, and, and four years old. Um, we became very comfortable with the way things were. They were, you know, looking at us like we were uh, their parents because we were providing for them. So my uh, stepson looked at me like I was his biological father and my daughter looked at my wife like she was her biological mom. And the eldest daughter who was eight years old and remembered what it was like before was looking at me like she wasn't having none of it. And that is what winter reminds me of right now. Like she's rebelling against her situation. And it doesn't make it any easier that Santiago is literally keeping her from being able to thrive in this new situation. Like, honestly, the best way to get somebody engaged in a new situation is to let them become engaged in their own way. And he's just like blocking all the doors and all the access to her. Like, you're not going to do that. Like, not now, not ever, which I know has to be frustrating for winter. Um, I'm glad her mom is able to throw parties. I'm sorry that winter can't go to the parties. I used to hate sitting in the back while my parents threw parties and wasn't even allowed to come out because the fucking video games were in the front of the goddamn house. Um, couldn't even get the good food. Y'all cooking good food and we have SpaghettiOs. What the fuck is that? So hopefully, you know, winter can find a way to alleviate her stress um with somebody who's not a doofy looking nigga because you know she ain't gonna meet nobody she likes in long island let's be honest like she's got standards that are brooklyn based and brooklyn born that's it so that was the first two chapters of the coldest winter ever uh the next chapter uh i think we'll do two chapters until further notice, but if we run the chapters like that second chapter that was hella short, then we'll try and knock out a few of them back to back to back. Um, so there may be some days when we have two chapters or maybe some days when we have like four chapters. You don't know, cause I don't know. Um, please leave a review wherever you listen to the podcast at. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I greatly do appreciate it. Um, if you listen to us on iTunes, leave a five-star review. If the place you listen to the podcast ad doesn't allow you to leave a five-star review, just leave a five-star review on Apple. I don't know too many places where you can leave reviews at for podcasts, um, but I know that they do boost our uh, numbers on iTunes, so I would really love it if y'all did that. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at Ratchet Book Club. Um, you can email us at wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Y'all be good. We're out. Peace. Intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,